This episode is brought to you in part by D6 Conference, a pivotal event for family ministry dedicated to nurturing discipleship based on Deuteronomy 6. Empower your ministry team and family by joining us. Register now at d6conference.com. I would go back and I would encourage a younger me to value and honor my parents more. I would value my father more and I would value my parents more. I think that you you as a younger person assume you know better. And I assumed that I knew better and I should have valued them a lot more, the things they were trying to impart to me. And also, man, I, I didn't know what they had gone through. I mean, in a lot of ways, it was just like I just was born one day and didn't even recognize, wait, here are the things that have created the circumstances of your life. Man, I need to really understand and glean from that. Hey everybody, welcome to The Calling. My name is Richard Clark. I am the online managing editor for Christianity Today and your host. Today on the podcast, I'm talking to BJ Thompson. He's the co-founder of a counseling ministry, a marriage counseling ministry actually, called Build a Better Us. I've actually been following um, BJ on Twitter for a while now and have really enjoyed his tweets. He has this ability to tweet these short, pithy phrases that are sort of like cut to the core and yet they're like really universal. It's really hard to pull that off both on Twitter and just in general, just like speak to people universally, but also um, in a way that uh, seems undeniably true. Um, This is something that Solomon has perfected, but I don't know many other people who have. And so I felt this in the interview. There's one tweet he constantly tweets out he actually tweets it over and over again i've noticed but um it's always like it's always ministers to me every time he tweets it it's just like a weird thing i've never seen someone tweet the same thing over and over but he does and it gets retweets every time it gets tons of retweets it says it's it's a simple message but i think it's so important and i think it's so important to tweet it all, all the time it says i am a mess and yet deeply loved by god that is classic B.J. Thompson, from what I can tell. I don't know him that well, but based on my interview with him and based on um, the stuff I've read from him, that sort of cutting to the core universal truth about the nature of human beings and their relationship with God is what makes B.J. Thompson really good to listen to. So I'd encourage everyone to listen to this uh, interview. It gets pretty real at the end, which I appreciated. And check out uh, Build a Better Us. You can check it out at buildabetterus.com. By the way, if you're a regular listener to The Calling, you should know that Christianity Today magazine is the reason The Calling exists. It offers redemptive and honest coverage of the people, events, and ideas shaping the church and culture. We have a special deal for listeners to The Calling. You'll get 10 award-winning issues, tablet and PDF editions, full web access, online archives dating back to the very beginning of this institution. We set up a special page for you to get a discount and a special download that was created especially for podcast listeners. It's pretty good. Just go to orderct.com slash the calling. That's orderct.com slash the calling. By subscribing, you'll be supporting thoughtful, essential journalism and helping us to continue to produce episodes of The Calling every other week. Here's my interview with BJ Thompson.
You say you don't. You're not interested in sports. I'm not. Uh, yesterday, I tried to talk sports with the BD. Really? What do you do? So I was like, I started the podcast by going like, I want to practice talking sports because I see you on Twitter and I always feel left out. Do you have that problem? You always. I do. I feel left out all the time. Uh-huh. I had an awkward moment. I was um, at the gym and a guy was running, like jogging, a fast sprint. And he looks over at me. He goes, man, how about those Eagles this year? Mm-hmm. And I had no idea who he was talking about. <laughs> so I kind of go, yeah, man, they're going to score some points this year. And he's uh-huh. like, yeah, they're going to score some points. I was like, okay. That you was guessed a- right. He wasn't talking about actual Eagles. Well, he, he was just talking about a player, and he was talking about what they were going to do. And I was okay. like, I have no idea what you're talking about right I now. I would have so, said, I heard they're flying west this oh, year. Oh, no. No, no, no. Yeah, it was strange. Yeah. yeah. The the question we always start the podcast with is, how would you define your calling? Yeah, so, I mean, the way I would define my calling is to create culture and develop people. Um, I actually stumbled upon it a couple of years ago and just started recognizing this pattern that people around me seem to be culture makers. Um, but prior to us kind of being a meaningful relationship, um, there was this development that was occurring. And so, yeah, so when I look at it, I go, man, I think maybe part of my calling is to develop people and those people end up creating culture. Um, and so, yeah, that's my calling in life. When you say create culture, what do you mean? I mean, shape the world around you, yeah. shape the world beyond you, um, shape the world that's to become. And so when you think about that, you think about people need to be equipped in order to think through the world around them. What does that mean? What is the world to come? And then what is the world beyond you? Yeah. Why do you use the word create instead of engage, yeah. uh, influence, yeah. those things? Because it requires imagination. I mean, you just think about creation. You can't take what's static and deal with it sometimes because your imagination hasn't been engaged. Sometimes you have to even reimagine what you see. Um, kind of like a, a, a thing of parts instead of just seeing all oh, Legos. You just see it some some Legos. You actually see a castle. So you have to use your imagination and your skills and your resources and your understanding to build something that was not out of what exists now. What was sort of the event or series of events in your life that led you to realize that this was? Yeah. So in undergrad, so I've been married to my wife, Vance, for 14 years this year. And um, in undergrad, we we were a part of a small group um, faith community. And a buddy and myself um, were volunteering in a juvenile facility. And as we did it, we served, learned, um, sent kids out from the juvenile facility. But we did it for four years, and it turned into what's now known as the 116 Movement, um, which is a global movement of artists and culture creators. There's guys like Lecrae, um, Tadashi, um, Show Baraka, Tripoli, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So uh, my buddy Lecrae, we end up launching this movement and went on the road, traveled doing shows. And as we traveled and doing shows, realized very quickly I couldn't sing or rap. Yeah. Right? That's uh-huh. funny. Don't have a no type of rhythm. None of that stuff is uh-huh. in me, right? <laughs> so it happened really quickly. Right. But I was the create culture, develop leadership guy. And so a lot of the leaders, a lot of people that I was connecting with were going, man, we love the music. We love the things that you guys are doing but we want more. And so I actually discovered my gift of leadership just by traveling the globe, meeting up with different leaders around the world. So absolutely. 
Yeah. So um, one of the things you do is like a website about marriage, right? Mm -hmm. Is it just a website or is it more than that? It's more than that. It's a network. So how does that work? Yeah, absolutely. So we started seven years ago. What's the um, name of it? Build a Better Us. And we just recognized that people were living in isolation, that there wasn't a map or grid to create maturity within marriage, not just prior to marriage. And that there just needed to be some clarity and some things that happened. And so we actually launched informally for the first two years, just kind of a marriage group, man, just people just kind of getting together. And after a while, we just started recognizing, wait, there's something really meaningful here. Um, now we're launching this season into a major network um, that partnered with church and faith communities across the nation in order to build a better us. So, yeah, it's pretty awesome, man. So what's been the most rewarding thing that's come out of that? Oh, seeing people's lives change. Man, I've seen people go from at each other's throats. I mean, just seething anger and hate to having a transformed life and marriage and being able to share and love on others with the change that they've had. Um, we've seen young people go from being clueless about life, being engaged, just kind of all over the place, to becoming leaders and learning and loving other people well. And so, but it's been very rewarding. And I'll, lastly, I would just say, I've seen a lot of cross-cultural um, connections being made. Man, when, you, when you're working in that type of work with families and marriage, I mean, I don't want to say there is no color. Color is a part of it, but it's not central to those things. And so you see some real family bonds being made cross-culturally, political, different political backgrounds, and different economic backgrounds as well. What are what are the difficult parts of it? Oh, watching people fall apart. I mean, you start knowing the inner workings of people's lives. I mean, your marriage is the temperature of your life. And so when you get into that, you get to see what's real. You don't get to see what you see on Sunday, holding hands, smiling, you get to see like what's behind the curtain. And there's a lot of difficulty. I mean, sometimes people have infidelity issues, they have abuse issues, they've been they've shut down, they've they've stonewalled one another for a couple of years. Yeah, that's difficult. You're obviously like a Christian. You're coming from a Christian perspective. Absolutely. Does this organization, is it would it call itself a Christian organization? Yeah. yeah. Is it geared towards Christian marriages? Absolutely. It's a great question. That's a great question. So our organization is geared toward married and engaged folk, um, but we create tools and resources for single and dating people as well. And I would just say when you look at the um, the center, our principles are Christian principles. Jesus at the center. Um, a lot of the, all our men, 100% of our men in small groups teach and lead their families, right? Um, but there's always people who are involved who are just curious. Man, they just want to be engaged in relationships. And so it's open to all people, but we try to make a, a, a great enough point of, man, we're going to use scripture to define and to inform and we're going to create family and boundaries so that as we invite people in, it isn't just a hodgepodge of different things occurring. It's a healthy balance with good parameters. So so the, how does the local church play into this, Absolutely. all of this? What, yeah. like, what is the role that you that the local church plays with your organization, yeah. with people who are taking part in it? That's yeah, what I mean. so we try to partner with local churches. Um, you know, just consider lo local churches as lighthouses, right? Because... One of the things we want people to be healthy, and they are already gathering people. They are eldering, shepherding, caring for others, and we want them to play a part in that, right? But most of the time, local churches are undermanned, under-equipped to have that even very specific understanding of how do you develop this kind of covenant relationship, right? And so we just want to come alongside as a partner, but also recognize that there are people who don't have an available local body or church that they're involved in. And so we're also willing to partner with people who go, man, 
we want to go through the assessment. We want to go through the training and development, and we want to lead out. And I'll tell you what we learn um, that we can do that freely. Um, Jesus says something really unique in the scriptures. He says, if one's ox or animal falls in a pit on the Sabbath, what would you do? He kind of poses this question, right? Because they believe you couldn't heal outside of the Sabbath. And then he says, well, you would heal your animal, would you? He says, well, you can always do good on the Sabbath. And here's what we recognize, that as an organization, though Christian, we don't need permission to do good in the world, right? So we can have people in different places. We don't need anybody's permission because Jesus has already given us permission to do so. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Was there, so did you ever like come to a place where you doubted that this was something you should do? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you just think about it. Who uh-huh. Who's asking you to go out and develop marriage and family? Right. Yeah, that's hard. No one ever asked you? No, they didn't. <laughs> they wouldn't. Yeah, uh-huh. they wouldn't. And it's not encouraged. And so, you know, really the burden for me came when I realized that as a person who was involved in this great faith community and this great teaching and doing regular, you know, out service to others, and I had a terrible marriage. I go, this doesn't make sense. I can't be married, have all these great things around me. And this covenant relationship, this very important relationship doesn't make sense to me. And so, How is it terrible? Oh, just no information, misinformation, lack of role models, lack of support, yeah. and a lack of proximity to other married couples, right? And I just started seeing myself falling. Well, the more I started gaining health and awareness and understanding, I recognize, you know what? It isn't just me. It's people all over. It's people who feel the burden of, of trying to put on a front or people who just don't know. They just don't know that they don't know because they've never been up close with anyone that has been healthy, right? So, yeah, so we ended up doing it. And I would just say people enjoyed the idea of that being a small group. But I think when it got to this being a consistent theme, it's very difficult because there's no glory in it. Mm. So, What do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, who gets glory for starting and launching a faith-based marriage and family network or community. There's no glory. What, what is their glory in, in, in speaking, contrast? Yeah. Speaking. I mean, being a talking head, being a celebrity leader. Oh, yeah. But when you, when you get into shepherding and caring for people, yeah, in crisis, but then also being proactive in a development, there's no glory in it. It's kind of low-key. Oh, yeah, yeah. A lot of times you fail miserably. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All yeah. the time. Yeah, you should see my first counseling. Oh, yeah, it was terrible. What, how was it terrible? No, I can't tell Please. you about that. Yeah. No? Uh, so I wasn't prepared. I didn't realize that getting into the crevices of people's lives, that it would push me into becoming a counselor. I assumed that I could just kind of be this cool, nifty leader and speaker. Um, but then people want to know, how do we bring this thing together? Or how do we support it and make it stronger? And I remember one of my first, the first time I counseled, I counseled a couple that may have been 20 years older than me. And But you're saying you didn't quite realize you were counseling at that well, time. I, I didn't know I was have to. I didn't know I was going to be forced to have to right. counsel. Right? Okay, yeah. And I'm counseling them, and I realize, wait, these are some very substantial issues, and they're so nuanced, and I don't think I know what I'm doing, but I'm right here in this moment, and I need to know something. And so a lot of prayer, a lot of water, and a lot of coffee. So, What, what did you have to like work on in order to become a better counselor? Like, What are the, what are the, yeah. th- the areas where you had to improve? Reading. I mean, you have to read. Huh. You have to read a lot. That, to... that actually shocks me as an answer because really? I feel like, my impulse would be to say you have to like get to know people and yeah. you have to like, you know, get 
get into real life and stuff it's like both. that. Okay. It's both, right? So you need to have an objective awareness about people and relationships, right? But then also, there's no way for you to love deeper if you're not in meaningful relationships with them. And, and, and just side note, one of the reasons that marriages are not healthy is because they think they only need development when they're in crisis. So one of the mantras in our organization is that we change people who change the world. And we take regular people, ordinary people, and help them become extraordinary couples, right? Because I think that's one of the misnomers is we have to jump over the hurdle of the only time we need to engage this is that we're in a deep, dire crisis. And so, yeah. So being involved with people, seeing this on a regular basis, and then also sharing with them your life has helped me become a better counselor because I am also in the process of growing and maturing. Um, I haven't fully arrived. And because of that, as I gain and grow and share, then I'm able to share, gain, and grow with other people. What has been, would you say, your biggest struggle in yeah. doing this work? So I think that typically people assume, because I'm an African-American, that I have limited knowledge and understanding on marriage and family, right? Or they Like specific knowledge. Oh, yeah, specific, right. yeah. Or they limit me to the realm of what they believe I should be working involved in, maybe a poor, lower-class, disconnected, single-mother community, and they don't recognize, wait, we're, we're literally in every realm of society and engaging people in a way that's at the core of who they are. And so one of the things you have to get over, I mean, for me, um, I just know that people are shocked. They don't recognize that, man, this is just something that we're doing, and we've been doing it. And I've been blessed to have some great mentors who've just kind of helped me see, hey, BJ, you're going to have to overcome this obstacle um, but once people get over the obstacle, they're all the way in. Mm. They're all the way in. Get over what obstacle? Just the obstacle, the, pre the presupposition that only people of color can only talk specifically and extensively about race. Yeah. Or if they talk about marriage and family, it's not to their marriage or their family. So you're talking about um, white couples, for oh, instance, yeah, absolutely. who are looking for help. Yeah. And they might say, well, this is a thing yeah. that's not for us. They don't know. Because yeah. they don't know any better, yeah. right? Because it's just so new. When is yeah. the last time you had an African-American help walk you extensively through your life, family, marriage? Not uh, not. And recently. that's my point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. it's just new, right? So yeah. it's not personal. It's just a new thing. Yeah. But it's but it's beautiful because once you build that family bridge with people mm -hmm. and they go, wait, my life is dramatically changing, then it begins to click. Mm -hmm. mm, this is something that can benefit me and then I can benefit someone else. There's kind of a – I feel like we're having a moment – culturally where we're wrestling with this idea of family absolutely and how what it means mm -hmm. first of all and second of all uh, how important it is in mm -hmm. comparison to other things um i'm wondering like how you feel about that um there's there's like some people who would say like uh your your family is your number one thing you protect it at all costs and i think there's a little bit of even like politically, like that's playing out, right? Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm, that it's mm -hmm. all about your family, mm -hmm. period. And then there's a whole other strain of thinking, and I think both of these have valid points, Absolutely. right? Which is that um, there are people who don't have families; they don't have families that are able to do this thing. Absolutely. Um, and so we have to be looking out for them. Absolutely. What would you say to those sort of alternate viewpoints? Absolutely. So it's both and, not either or. There has to be an emphasis on strengthening, protecting, and building the culture of your family. We know that childhood trauma creates 
adult trauma, right? So for the rest of your life, if something happens, I scarred my arm when I was five. I have a huge scar on my elbow. And my son asked me the other day, he goes, Dad, what is that on your arm? <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is a monster. Don't touch it, right? <laughs> <laughs> but this scar, once he pointed it out, it reminded me of what happened when I was five. And I go, oh my gosh, I jumped on the couch and I split my arm open because there was a glass there, right? And I don't think we take into account the depth of what childhood trauma does to you when you lack a meaningful relationship with your mother and your father at the onset. It psychologically develops your mind to either trust or distrust, find security or insecurity, um, create a sense of depression or a sense of engagement and health. That all because you're seeing a meaningful relationship in front of you and you're being engaged, engaged in a certain way. So I think the truism is family is important. And there's too many clinical studies out there that have proven that it, it is great, right? On the other side, though, I think that it's important that we create family where there is no family. You know, one of the most important things for me um, has been involved in someone else's life and they've taken me in as their son. You know, there's been, you know, plenty of older men and women, and they treat me and they go, BJ, you're my son. Again, this was my younger 20s, teen years, and I didn't really know what that meant for me. So they played a, a unique role that I did not have biologically, and I think that as a church and as a faith community, we can do that a lot more readily because guess what? We know that Jesus created a body of people. He didn't just create an individual in this kind of caste system, right? And so I think both are important. But again, back to what I was saying, we need to be a lot more proactive, correct information, role models, a sense of trajectory and development. And we have to begin to utilize these people in a way that says, you know what, you matter, you're important but you're not the center of what we're doing. And we have to figure out how to gain health in your life so that you can transfer that to other people and create a change in whatever sphere that you've been placed in. Life is unpredictable. I think all of us learn that. Sometimes we learn it in good ways. Sometimes we learn it in really hard ways. You're valuable to Christianity Today, and we want you to be prepared and protected. And one of the ways that that can happen is by having a will and getting a will together for your family and to care for your loved ones. If you've already set up your will and other important estate planning documents, that's great. But if you haven't, Christianity Today has partnered with Epic Will to easily and affordably walk you through the whole process of creating a legally binding and state-specific will in as little as 10 minutes. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones to take this vital step, and you can get started today by visiting morect.com slash will. That's more than just one O, ct.com slash will. And for a limited time, you can get 10% off. That's morect.com slash will. You talked about the, the trauma of not having oh, parents. Yeah. Was that something you experienced? I didn't. You didn't? I didn't. I had parents. Yeah. So thankfully, right? I mean, you know, because we, our nation historically has dismantled and decimated black families, um, creating economic, employment, educational disparity that, I mean, and even just kind of mass incarceration have just kind of 
it's decimated the black community, right? And so thankfully, I was one of the few individuals in my community. But I will also say... Were you an exception, you would say? I was. Yeah. I was. Yeah, I was an exception. But I would also say that my friends got the benefit of my father. So my father, who uh, was the youngest of about 11, 12 kids, my father was a father to my friends. Hmm. Right? Yeah, that's amazing. And this is what I mean when you talk about you can adapt into that because a lot of families go, out of the health that we have, we can be that for someone else. So, no, the importance of that is huge. And when you talk about this, these neighborhoods and communities that lack father figures, I think it's important for us to realize that we can be that if not but for one to two children. And all you have to do is do this. Invite them in for a meal. Share your story. Let them share their story. And then share something meaningful that you've learned and then let them share something meaningful that they've learned. Do you deal with parenting too or is it Everything, just marriage? All of it. All the just family you can't, life. I mean, you just get into it. Man. Right. Yeah, <laughs> That's true. It would like, be hard to cut it off yeah, at, no. at parenting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all of it. You end up in parenting. You end up in mediation you end up in restoration i mean there's just so many different elements to this marriage family thing so this podcast is purely a selfish endeavor and (laughs) i do it to get advice for my own life that's something that build a better us our our listeners are catching on to um i uh my wife and i have a one-year-old he just turned one like a month ago love it um what or what is going to happen to us? Oh goodness, that's a great question. What, like, what would you? What would be like the primary <laughs> advice you would give us as Good. as new parents? Yeah. So one, make children a part of your family, not the center of your family. Uh. Um, it's easy to you know they're so beautiful, man. Yeah. I'm a baby person, man. They're the they're the best people in the they house. They are. They yeah. are. Yeah. They get the best shoes. Well, until uh, you carry them around everywhere. Bit, yeah. yeah. You hand feed them. Like mm-hmm. yeah, they are the best people in the house. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes couples, especially with a newborn or their first child, they make the child the center of their family, not a part of their family, right? So I would just say have that philosophy going in. Second thing is create boundaries, right? So if the baby's crying or wants to get in the bed, you have to figure out ways to protect your bedroom, right? Because if when a child is a part of the family, now, there's space that mom and dad need to connect, to talk, to love on each other. We got to figure out how to make that happen, even in the midst of changing poopy diapers and being spit up on and children walking in. Um, and I would just say, practically, you need to figure out how to get a child to sleep in their own bed. Sometimes parents make the mistake of allowing their children to sleep in their bed, and then they don't know necessarily when it's time to leave. So mom and dad end up growing weary and disconnected physically because they just can't touch each other and talk and share that moment. And so now we need to establish a boundary for that baby and go, you know what? You're going to be in that bed. And unless there's something really harmful happening to you where you need to be fed, changed, we may need to let you cry because we want to establish you in some uh, some independence so that you're not so codependent that we can't be a couple. That intimate thing, intimacy thing is huge though. Okay. That bedroom thing. Yeah. Yeah. Parents make the mistake. It's it it's interesting because it doesn't seem huge in the moment. Oh yeah. It totally seems like an afterthought. It's not. It's a big deal. Yeah. Because you create the trajectory where your child believes they deserve to be there. You're setting the tone, yes. right? Yes. Like you're kind of set. I, I feel like in t- in a positive sense and a negative sense. Yes. In a negative sense, you're saying. Uh, no, you can just walk in and Absolutely. get in between us anytime Absolutely. you want. Po- on a positive sense, you have an opportunity to set a tone where the husband and the wife are 
like super in love. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And if you like just like let that go. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a shame. Yeah. When my children turn three, me and my wife would be hugging in the kitchen. So I'm hugging her. I may be, you know, I may be holding her hand, kissing her. And they try to come in between us. I'd go, hold up. We're not doing a family hug right now. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, yeah. Like when we do a family hug. Just to be clear. That's right. Let's yeah. be clear. When we do a family hug, we're going to invite our children into this experience of intimacy, right? Because we hug them. We kiss them. We tell them I love you. But when mom and dad are hugging, you're going to give us some space right now, right? Because we are sharing something intimate. I want you to know the value of marriage, right? And I think that's something we don't see is that we're teaching them to protect in an appropriate way their own marriages because their parents model out, you know what? This is something separate. Uh, another thing for parents out there, you can't just bust into the door. So you can't just walk into my bedroom when you want to. This is a sanctuary. You can't just be in my bed. If Now, again, if you're one years old, can be in a bed because you can't really walk eh, you know you, you might poop or something whatever yeah like yeah but there comes a point you come in you have to knock you have to announce yourself hey who is this and i'm gonna wait and we had to train our children richard to do this because again instinctually they won't do it you have to do it but once you create those boundaries and those barriers but then also again i love you and you spend time with those children, they begin to understand how your family functions and you guys are able to go on vacations. You guys are able to love on each other and not feel like we're so overburdened with babies. We can't wait till they leave. So what's the deepest fear you have about the ministry you do? A few years ago, probably 20 years ago, seven out of 10 people were getting married. 43, 50% are being divorced, right? Now we have two out of 10, <laughs> 18 to 36 year olds attempting to be married. Society um, is a reflection of the the relational maturity. And when people don't have a sense of relational health and maturity, society feels it and expresses it, right? And so when there's a low sense of marriage and health and awareness in those relationships, it ultimately reflects in everything that happens and how we engage, how we see one another, how we treat one another. So one of my fears is there's this massive blob not being spoken into. Um, because it's sticky and it's difficult and you have to shepherd people through it and that it has these destructive impact in everything that we do um, and that there needs to be more people doing it. So I would just say one of my greatest fears is that enough people won't step into the work um, and that the, the impact is unnameable. I don't really know the impact of a society, a single society, yeah. right? We This is the first time in our history that we've had this many single people in our society and it's not just because people don't want to get married anymore. They're just under-equipped for the task. Do you have a personal fear? I don't. I try to be hopeful um, because I get to see so much change. Yeah. So because of the work that we're doing, I'm excited. One thing that I'm excited about is bringing a variety of different types of people together. Because, again, I think something that we've done, we've put up so many barriers to each other that we don't recognize that, honestly, together we are better, that we are working together in different ethnic groups and socioeconomic backgrounds and political ideologies, when we legitimately come together, we are better. So I'm hopeful because I get to see a lot of that and I want to see more of that across the nation. So it's important to you to, to not sort of dwell on the, the what could happen Oh, I can't. Thing. Yeah, I can't because we're in it. I mean, we're in the, the whole, we're, in the, we're swimming in the waters of marriage and family. Okay, so if you could um, get into a time machine, yeah. go back in time, yeah. give yourself some advice, tell yourself something, yeah. what would it be? I'm not sure. I don't think I've lived with any regrets. 
You know, in every season of my life, I've been I've been blessed to have amazing peers and live out of my conviction. Um, even when I wasn't a faith person, if I wasn't of the faith, still lived out my convictions. When did you come to faith? 19, University of North Texas. Okay. Yeah. Dorm room experience. Okay. Stinky socks with a roommate. <laughs> Played rugby, right? The yeah. roommate led you to Christ? No, he did. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It just smelled like stinky socks. I just had to put that in there. Right? Okay. <laughs> um, freshman dorm, man. That's what happens. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I, but what I would say is I think we try to live out every season with conviction and with peers and with mentors. Mm-hmm. And I think because of that, I don't look at any of the mistakes as the mistakes. They've just been learning lessons for the next season. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't know if there will be a me without all of the mistakes and the and reflection on those things. So you might encourage him. Yeah. I mean, I. I don't know. I just, I just don't know if I would go back into the time. You have to. I wouldn't, though. You have to get in the time machine. I wouldn't, and You have though. to go back. If I did, I, you know what? i tell you what I would do. Uh-huh. I'd know exactly what I would do. I knew it. I would go back, and I would encourage a younger me to value and honor my parents more. Oh, okay. That's what I would do. Yeah. I would value my father more, and yeah. I would value my parents more. Because you feel like you didn't as much I, as you'd like? I just feel like I kind of put stiff armed them. You yeah, what? I stiff armed the relationship. Right. I kind of distanced the relationship. Which so. is a pretty typical thing. It is typical. Yeah. It is typical. Yeah. Yeah. But I remember, I have these. Do you, I don't know if you have this, what? but like I have these moments yeah. from my childhood that I, have I remember and regret so hard. Right. Oh, like wow. I remember like when I was a kid, not getting my way and just hanging signs around the house that said, I hate my mom. <laughs> How bad is that? But that's like a classic kid move. Like a, it's a classic dumb kid Culture move. move. That's cultural. That's cultural. My mother would have, see, it would have been bad. Oh, really? Like that never oh, would have happened? cultural. Yeah, that's cultural, man. Yeah, like you couldn't write, I sense. hate my mom. Oh, no. <laughs> you can't do that in the black family, man. Yeah. Oh, that's your, yeah, you're done. Yeah. Yeah, you'd have to go to the morgue. <laughs> Yeah, no, you would never do that, man. I still feel bad about it. Yeah. It's kind of like I feel like I got punished for it just from my conscience. Oh, wow. I wonder if my mom, my mom listens to every one of these podcasts. Oh, she is. She's like like super supportive. I wonder if she remembers that or if I just reminded her and made her feel real sad. She remembers it. (laughs) She'll never forget. She's like, I'll never forget that moment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I would go back and honor them more because, again, I think that you, you as a younger person assume you know better. And I assumed that I knew better. And I should have valued them a lot more, the things they were trying to impart to me. And also, man, I, I didn't know what they had gone through. I mean, in a lot of ways, it was just like I just was born one day and didn't even recognize, wait, here are the things that have created the circumstances of your life. Man, I need to really understand and glean from that. So that's the one thing I would do is I would honor them more. What have they gone through? I mean, no, my parents went through desegregation uh-huh. of a society and the trauma and family stuff. Like, it's just been so many different things. My father talked to me about coming to his middle school as they were desegregating. And he's like, it was so traumatizing. Like, they're busing you into different schools and you've never been there before. And all of a sudden, you have to go into this building, this mixed building, and there is this conflict that's occurring at the school. So you don't go to get an education, you're going to just survive, right? 
So for me, when you when you realize like, wait, that's a real trauma. Like right. to think like, oh, that's kind of why you don't like conflict in these ways because you've lived through something very substantial. We're running through, out of time, but I I really want to ask you this question. Come on. Were your your parents Christians during this time? Faith. So my mother's a Christian. Mm-hmm. My father, I think, became a Christian later on in life. Okay. Yeah. I'm wondering about maybe how your mom handled that as a Christian because, yeah. and we're seeing a little bit of this right now a where you bit. have two types of Christians. Maybe not, and I wouldn't narrow them down by race. There were white people on I both sides. I both, but, yeah. Um, but I think like at that time you had a white church mm-hmm. that was largely uh, behind segregation. Mm-hmm. Segregationist. And so what, what do you do as a Christian, as a black Christian who wants to be faithful like how do you address that no so i would say the way you address it now is you acknowledge it first you have to acknowledge what occurred and then you have to recognize you know what people were in a very unique season it had never occurred before this is the first time in over a hundred years that our society was integrating itself from being separate but unequal and people's lives were drastically disrupted. And so their businesses, their lives, and honestly, a lot of people felt like they were just doing what was in, in the best interest of their own families. And so you get the focus on the family. You get all these different things that occur because people's lives are being turned upside down. And so I think such a shift in that, I, I try not to shame our parents because they, honestly, they did what was best. But I think now, reflectively, now we have to go back and look at the lessons that they should have learned. And one being, you have to love your neighbor as yourself. And you have to figure out those who have systemic structural power, how do you take that power and not hoard it for yourself, but how do you share it with the least of things, which is the word, the least of these, which is the words of Jesus in Matthew 25, right? How do you care for those? The way you care for those people is how you care for him. Um, so yeah, I would just say that's how you do it. And you have to do it in a way that's hopeful, in a way that's truthful, and a way that's spirit-led. BJ Thompson is the director and co-founder of Build a Better Us. You can follow him on Twitter at at BJ116. You can get that tweet, that one tweet he keeps sending out over and over. It's awesome. It's a good reminder. Remember to rate and review the show on iTunes. Helps us a lot. The Calling is produced by Jonathan Clausen. Theme music by Lee Rosevere used under Creative Commons 4.0.